welcome to PDBC's Tax Reform Readiness podcast series. This podcast is an excerpt from PDBC's Tax Reform Readiness webcast series held on January 10, 2018, focusing on U.S. mandatory deemed repatriation considerations. The panelists for the webcast were Ken Kuykendall, PDBC's Tax Services Leader, Tim Anson, a PDBC tax partner focusing on international tax issues, Elizabeth Nelson, a PDBC tax director also focusing on international tax issues, and Wade Sutton, a PDBC tax principal focusing on mergers and acquisitions issues. This podcast excerpt consists of a discussion among the panelists on the general framework around Section 965 of the Code and the mandatory repatriation provisions. Wade, could I turn it over to you and ask you to maybe get into just the framework for what's out there for Section 965 and the mandatory deemed repatriation provisions? Yeah, thanks, Ken. Um, yeah, so we're going to go through some of the basic framework before getting into some examples and details. Um, you know, at a high level, what Section 965, the toll charge is about, is it's the price of admission to a territorial tax system. And so all these previously deferred untaxed foreign earnings will be subject to tax as an increase to your subpart F income for the last year before the transition to the territorial system at a decreased rate of tax. And so we're going to go through a little bit of the who, what, where, and why before getting into some of the details. And there are quite a few. You know, I should mention that um, the amount of uncertainty surrounding this bill or this provision now um, is, is just staggering. And we're still working through it. We're hopeful that we're going to get some guidance from the Treasury Department on some of this stuff. Um, but a lot of this, especially given that it's a one-time provision, um, we may just have to take reasonable positions and ferret it out on our own. Um, and Wade, maybe some of that, <clears throat> I think some of that uncertainty stems from two things. One is this is dramatic, you know, dramatic change to the tax system from what we have. I mean, more dramatic than even the 86 Act. And it went through at warp speed. I mean, they had very little time to write these provisions. And so there's naturally going to be some gaps and openings, which... We're going to have to try to resolve. Right. Yeah. We talked about this on Inside Tax Policy last week, but the reason we actually have provisions is because it moved at warp speed because there wasn't an ability to sort of slow down sometimes and bring into account a lot of factors, but it also leads to all this uncertainty. And I raised up front, you know, you're trying to deal with the tax accounting considerations that are out there. Uncertainty is not a friend of, of trying to deal with financial accounting, so right. there, there's a lot of work to be done here. Right. Okay, so who is subject to the toll charge? Um, any U.S. shareholder of a deferred foreign income corporation. Um, so what is that? that? That's a specified foreign corporation um, that, that has positive E&P as of one of two dates, November 2nd, 2017, or December 31st. Those are generally the E&P measurement dates for purposes of determining your toll charge. Um, now, in terms of what a specified foreign corporation is, that's either a CFC, and, the, and you know the paradigm here is a foreign subsidiary of a U.S. multinational, um, but it also applies to any foreign corporation that has a domestic corporation that's a U.S. shareholder, so a 10% shareholder. And given some changes to the attribution rules um, in connection with the bill, that's applying to a much broader category of foreign corporations than you otherwise might think. Um, but I think it's important to note there, too, though, that this is a subpart F inclusion, and so you're picking up your pro rata share, which is your in direct or indirect ownership, even yeah, if you have, yeah. you become a CFC by attribution. That, that is absolutely true. But, but your broadening point is really important, Wade, because in the, a lot of companies in the past have a good handle on earnings and profits of their big companies, you know, that 
pay dividends or have subpart F income. Now we're talking about every one of your subsidiaries that's 10% or more owned is going to be caught by these rules. So you got to have a good handle on E&P, cash positions, all the things we're going to talk about today. So it's a massive undertaking for a lot of companies. Right. All right. So when does the toll charge happen? It, it is the last taxable year before that begins before 2018. Um, and, and so one thing to note here, in order to be a defect deferred foreign income corporation, you have to have positive E&P on November 2nd or December 31st. So one question we're getting frequently is, well, what if my entity liquidated out of existence in October or before those measurement dates? In that case, because it's not going to be a DFIC, should not have a toll charge inclusion. For everybody else, though, um, and we've got a slide on this uh, next, we'll get into some of the details. Um, as long as you had positive E&P, you will have an increased subpart F income for that last year. The amount of the toll charge inclusion is defined term, accumulated post-1986 deferred foreign income. What that basically means is it's all of the E&P the foreign corporation earned after 1986, but you exclude previously taxed income on, under subpart F, you exclude effectively connected income with the U.S. trade or business, and you also don't take into account earnings that were earned when this um, entity was not a specified foreign corporation. So, for example, if you invested in a foreign corp um, that had foreign owners prior then you wouldn't take any, into account any E&P from the prior foreign ownership period. And if you become a specified foreign corporation by attribution, for example, then you're just looking at really the year, the year beginning before right. December 31st, 2017. Right. And then finally, the rates, these bounced around quite a bit as the bills were in process. But ultimately, where we landed is 8% on non-cash earnings and 15.5% on cash earnings. We're going to get into some details about how you determine cash. That's much more complicated than, um, than we'd hoped. Um, but, but the important thing is the way you get to these rates is through a participation exemption that kind of acts like a dividends received deduction. And that varies based on when you have your income inclusion. So if you have your inclusion at the end of 2017, you're going to end up with a 55% roughly DRD or participation exemption to get you to the 8% rate. But if you have an inclusion, say, for a fiscal year CFC in, um, say, November 30th, 2018, that's going to be a different DRD amount because you're now working off a, a lower tax rate. It's going to be a blended rate under Section 15, and that drives a lot of consequences for overall foreign losses and NOL usage. So let's go on to the next... Um, slide. We're going to talk about the win question in a bit more detail. Um, for any calendar year CFC, um, the last taxable year that begins before 2018 is, is going to be the one that ends 1231-17, and they will have suffered a toll charge inclusion as of December 31st of last year. For everyone else, so fiscal year taxpayers, you're going to have the inclusion in 2018, um, you know, assuming the entity was not newly formed prior to 17. And so for those entities, um, the rate of tax on that toll charge inclusion is going to vary um, depending on when their year end is. The way that Section 15 works is, is where there's a law change and the rate changes. You basically prorate the tax rate under the old system and the new system based on how many days of the year are in each respective portion of that tax year.
Um, so, you know, the other thing to point, we've, we've got our graph here that, that shows the timing. Um, not shown on this graph, but, you know, also important is that other provisions like the global and tangible low-taxed income provisions will kick in after the toll charge year. Um, and so, again, th this 965 mechanism is really a handoff to a transitional tax, a territorial tax system. So let's move on to the next slide. Some more details about the mechanics. The 15.5% rate is determined based on the aggregate foreign cash position of each U.S. shareholder. Um, now, we recently got a notice out of Treasury that was at the very end of last year um, that specified that for this purpose, U.S. shareholder is, is a consolidated group, so you do roll all those entities into a single entity um, when making this determination. And, and the other thing that you should really point it to pay attention to here is that cash position is measured by reference to specified foreign corporations. So that includes entities that didn't have ENP. That includes entities that had deficits. You don't have to be a deferred foreign income company to take into account the cash position. Now, in terms of measuring the cash position, th there are three potential dates you need to look at here for an entity. You look at the last taxable year that begins before 2018 or you look at the average of the last tax years that end before November 2nd, 2017, and you average those, and you then determine which amount's higher. Um, so for most calendar year CFCs, this is pretty easy. You're looking at December 31st of 2015, 16, and 17. For fiscal year taxpayers, um, it gets a little tricky. So for example, if you have a November 30th year-end entity, you're going to look at November 30th, 15, and 16, because those years ended before November 2nd. And then you're going to skip ahead to November 30th, 2018. There's actually a gap in 17 where you're not looking at the cash position for those November 30th entities. And you may not know what that balance is when you file your 2017 return. So if you have both 1231 CFCs or specified foreign corporations and 1130 specified foreign corporations, you have an issue in terms of what you're going to use for your toll charge balance for those fiscal year entities, which Treasury has addressed in guidance. And they've told us in 2017 to just assume the 113018 balance is zero and then to make adjustments when you know what the balance is. That, that's right. Now, Treasury has helped us out on the, um, on the tax return question. There's also a, a financial accounting question where you've got to project what your cash is going to be in 2018. Yeah. I mean, it, it's taken into account an estimate, right? So some of this we get a little bit of relief because the SEC practically recognized that there was a lot of uncertainty related to the bill and put in place this one-year measurement period to work with. But what you all are describing are things that could go, go almost beyond that one year in trying to deal with what's happening here. So it's going to have to be a situation where companies are estimating with the best information they have and trying to work afterwards. The point you're raising even goes to where data might be available after a tax return is filed, right? Mm -hmm. So if that's the case and adjust it later, query, are you amending tax returns? Are you picking it up on the next year? Th those are the types of things that are going to have to be thought through from a financial accounting standpoint because even though we're protected for the one year, the question is what happens after that year? And an important point about this one-year guidance that sort of goes through things that are um, – for which the, the data isn't available or the analysis isn't capable right now, there are going to be other things where we get guidance later down the road that are going to relate back to interpretations of the statute. 
those aren't necessarily in the one-year period. Those are, that's new guidance that's going to come up afterwards. And so the accounting may happen after that one-year period based upon what happens from a guidance standpoint. So just keep in mind all of those pieces. But I mean, what you're describing is, is a difficult scenario when you've got all these measurement dates mm -hmm. and some of them extending pretty far out into the future. Right. So, so what is cash? Um, you know, cash, obviously, that's the first category. You've also got net accounts receivables. That's basically the net of your receivables offset by the entity's payables. You don't actually get to use this provision to offset other entities' payables against another specified foreign corporation's receivables. And then, um, you know, cash-like items like commercial paper, CDs, short-term uh, debt instruments with a term of less than one year, and economically equivalent assets. And we've already gotten some guidance in that regard. The, the late 2017 notice specified that certain derivatives are going to be treated as cash equivalents for this purpose. Um, we're getting quite a few questions from clients already, uh, particularly looking at debt instruments with call features or put features. Um, you know, how should we think about maturity here? Um, a lot of complexity here, but, but we're trying to work through this as best we can. Um, also, we're going to get into some examples, but there is some relief in terms of double counting. Um, you know, for example, loans between CFCs, or we've had liquidations um, between measurement dates. Um, we, we think that there are some provisions that will avoid counting cash twice. Um, foreign tax credits. In exchange for this lower rate on the deemed repatriation, you should, in, in theory, should not be able to claim the full amount of credits associated with those earnings. And so there is a haircut, if you will, of the foreign tax credits. Those, even though the, the participation exemption is a floating percentage, if you will, that changes based on the applicable U.S. tax rate, the disallowance of FTCs is fixed at 55.7 and 77.1%. And then the, the payment of the toll charge tax for most folks, um, they'll be able to elect and pay the, the liability in installments over an eight-year period. And there's no interest charge for that purpose, and so there's a nice deferral benefit for most folks. Um, for certain others, like S-corporations, they can actually potentially defer indefinitely. Um, and, and so, you know, th there's an interesting accounting question here. I'm not sure we necessarily have an answer yet, but, but how do you take into account the fact that you're going to be paying that liability over time? Yeah, I, I think that's something to be thought through. I think it'll go on the balance sheet, but I think the timing when payment happens is going to drive w where it gets recorded to. The question is, the FASB is also out there debating discounting and other things that need to be taken into account related to this. There's actually a board meeting today. Um, the FASB is supposed to be dealing with some of those issues. There's probably real-time updates coming as we're speaking right now related to some of those things. But, um, but yeah, that is an open accounting issue. Okay. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you would like further information about this topic, please email the participants whose email addresses can be found in the description of this episode.